This week on the Defense Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, the theory behind the Air Force's cybersecurity posture. Let's invest in inherently better security in our architectures. Let's invest in better tooling that automates uh, more of our cybersecurity orchestration. Let's invest in zero trust and let's really do the basics right for the next generation. And the data steps ahead for the Air Force's Chief Information Officer. Trying to to really refine our data tagging strategy and build in as much automation as possible. Trying to figure out how do we bring some of our really, really old uh, data into the present day. It's Wednesday, June 8th, 2022. Welcome to the Defense Scoop podcast. Every week you'll learn what's going on in defense technology. I'm the host of the Defense Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. The House Armed Services Cyber Innovative Technologies and Information Systems Subcommittee will ask the Comptroller General of the United States to oversee the Joint All-Domain Command and Control Program, an item of special interest in the subcommittee's mark of its part of the National Defense Authorization Act says, quote, it is unclear what capabilities will be delivered to the warfighter, how much they'll cost, and when they'll be delivered. More on this year's NDAA later in the program. A new space strategic review could be ready by the end of this month. The Deputy Chief of Space Operations, Strategy, Plans, Programs, Requirements, and Analysis, Lieutenant General William LaCorey, says the review includes offensive and defensive weapons capabilities and classification challenges. The National Security Council tasked the Space Force and the intelligence community to work together on the review. You can read more about these headlines and lots of other Defense Scoop stories at fedscoop.com. The Air Force is basing its information technology strategy on four pillars. Lauren Nausenberger is Chief Information Officer of the Air Force. She tells my FedScoop colleague, Billy Mitchell, what those four pillars are and why they're the foundation for the department's IT. We want to deliver a rock-solid digital foundation for our air and space forces. And I personally, um, objectively and uh, not subjectively, because I'm the CIO, do believe that that is the the foundation of our future competitive advantage. If we're going to be trying to compete against near-peer adversaries, we have to be able to shorten our literal and proverbial kill chains. We have to be able to get data from anywhere to anywhere. We can't be wondering about basic things not working. And so really it's it's a, a focus on the fundamentals and making sure that we are able to deliver all of those capabilities that people would expect to have in 2022 at our fingertips working all the time. The second one is user experience for warfighter effect. And that is really about um, the, the, the understanding that we're not just delivering technology because it's fun to deliver technology. We want to deliver and improve upon technology in a way that it makes an impact for our warfighter. And that means that we're listening to our warfighters. We are asking very regularly for their feedback through surveys. We have instrumented um, a lot of our enterprise at the glass to see what is performing and what is not. We've done focus groups. And the whole point is how can we do things specifically that move the needle for our workforce. And there have also been times where, you know, we in the past before we had as much data as we have today, that we have tried to um, do certain things like, hey, let's let's put in a new circuit at the space and that'll make the, ne- the network so much faster. And you realize that maybe that wasn't the bottleneck. Um, and so it doesn't count for the warfighter until you're able to clear the whole pipe. And so following the problem end to end, following the thread, making sure that it actually does impact the way that the warfighter sees their domain. That is the, um, the, 
the intent behind uh, user experience for Warfighter Effect. The third has to do with enabling digital talent. And that is, that is both equipping our warfighters with the tools that they need to do their job. It's also making sure that they have access to digital education and training to consistently learn and grow, as well as taking a look at the way that we manage our workforce. Um, and uh, I've been diving in specifically on the way that we manage and develop our civilian workforce. And we should be um, releasing some, some exciting things in the coming months uh, on, our, on our civilian side. Um, and then the final piece really has been about trade space. And the way that I articulate that is that we want to ruthlessly attack manual process, outdated policy, and redundant IT. And you've heard me talk about Operation Flamethrower before, that you know we want our airmen to be able to say, that is crazy. I should not be doing this in a manual way. I literally want to take up my flamethrower and just remove this silly process right now. Um, I did actually, I want to say the first couple of weeks on the job, literally um, set a policy on fire uh, within ACC ASAC. Six uh, General Radigi, um, and uh, that was pretty funny because we said we wanted to do this, and there was literally a tech sergeant standing by with a fire extinguisher because it was the safety rule. Um, so I guess uh, safety first, even when we're when we're setting things on fire. Um, but we have been able to equip a number of our airmen and our functional uh, leaders with robotic process automation and and updated software as well. So those have been the uh, the four pillars. Um, if we look at kind of um, five, uh, five big rocks for the near term, um, we are doing a lot right now with IT spend and governance because um, one of the big things that, that, I, that I do want to accomplish or make a considerable dent in is helping us to become more of an enterprise. And that's, that's more of a Department of the Air Force enterprise. It's also more of a Department of Defense enterprise. And even within the services, um, we have split our funding, we've split our execution um, to a point where we have not been an enterprise for the last 10 years. And so in order to pull that back in, that means that we have to be um, pretty aggressive with understanding our IT spend and, and, and really doing a good job of governance. And, and that's something that I would say we have not done an incredible job on. Um, and so we have um, brought in a, a vendor to help us deep dive into our spend. We're really looking at the categories of spend. Um, where are we just right? Maybe where are we overspending or underspending? Um, where can we do a better job of category management? Um, and where do we need to make key investments? And I will share too that our new secretary um, and our new undersecretary have been incredibly supportive in this area. And um, even having some of our, our key um, whole of Department of the Air Force initiatives to be around how do we really understand and, and show transparently what are those high ROI IT investments and how do we make sure that they're getting the appropriate visibility so that we're making a decision as an Air, as an Air Force um, to put some money here knowing that there will be trade space um, and not only leaving it to where can we pull something from the IT enterprise to break something, invest it somewhere else and hope that we can reap the benefit before that other thing really falls apart. Um, and so it's, it, it's really um, bringing in some great true um, business trade-offs and fundamentals um, at an enterprise level rather than just within one portfolio. So that's been really refreshing. Uh, we do have ITAS Wave 1 coming up um, for award this summer, um, and, uh, and we're working through right now with the community to make sure that we are poised to get all of the benefits out of that that we expect. 
we are working to operationalize UX, um, and we've had the uh, the 16th Air Force really working through what what is the process by which we don't just have this data and know what's going on with their user experience. How can we consistently take that data, prioritize it, determine root cause, and make our network better every single day in a dynamic way without a whole lot of bureaucracy in the way? Um, so, so they're working through that. Um, we're taking a new look at, at how we sense and measure and really doubling down on censoring within our network um, and uh, also um, defining some new metrics to really be able to hold people accountable and make sure that that's not just the CIO holding people accountable, that we as an enterprise can see exactly um, who's on first with different things across the IT domain so that everyone knows exactly what's expected of them and that everyone is on the hook for improving their own metrics. Uh, and then finally, we've had our CTO, Jay Bonsi, who I think you've also met with. Um, he's been really driving out that EIT roadmap and the eight capabilities um, that we really need um, to be postured for a near peer fight um, and uh, has been doing strategic deep dives across the community on each of those eight areas, making sure that they are funded, that we have the right plan in place and working across the entire department um, to see where the pieces come together. So that's been pretty exciting. Wow, quite a bit going on uh, in, in a lot of exciting work. Uh, I, I want to ask you as a follow-up, where does cybersecurity fit on top of that? And I would imagine it's everywhere, but um, you know, how are you continuing to focus on cybersecurity? I know that's something that's been a big priority of yours and what progress is being made around things like zero trust, which is you know this, this massive push around the federal government. Absolutely. So first I will say that culturally within the Department of Defense and within the Department of the Air Force, I see a major shift toward people caring about cybersecurity up front. Um, you know, we talked about shift left for a number of years, and actually the DevSecOps community was kind of at the forefront of shift left. But now pretty much everybody is, um, is realizing how important this is and that it needs to be there in the way that we design systems. Um, the Department of Defense is definitely um, getting more serious about enforcing things um, and saying, okay, we, we didn't follow the cybersecurity practices here, we're gonna shut this off. We didn't get this updated in time, we're going to shut this off. The base didn't pass their inspection, we're going to shut off their network. And so um, across the department and across the service, we are enforcing things. Um, we, we almost, um, you know, there, there was a threat of a weapon system getting shut down during the middle of a major operation because um, you know, folks were not doing kind of the basics they needed to, to protect the data. Um, and so people are taking cybersecurity much more seriously. Um, this is another thing that's getting elevated outside of just the cyber community because there are operational impacts to everything that we do in the cybersecurity realm. And so if, if we just look at, for instance, cybersecurity budgets to fund things, um, especially in the Air Force where the vast majority of our spend goes to air platforms, then we may never get there. But if we elevate those things and we say, hey, for this air platform, it is absolutely critical that we have our crypto updated, that we have all of our data encrypted going, going to and from the jet, um, and that we're able to, to basically just effectively pass data in a way that we can conduct our mission, our pilots can be aware of everything that they need to be aware of. We can run command and control effectively. 
but we're not sharing everything that we're doing with our adversaries, um, that's a pretty important foundational mission capability. And so we are elevating that um, to a higher level at this point and making sure that those things are getting prioritized in all of our budget discussions. And we're, we're seeing a lot of support for that on the Hill as well, um, where folks really want to make sure that we are investing in cybersecurity. Now, there are two different philosophies um, on how to do this. And I'm seeing them largely actually converge on, on the side that, that I agree with. Um, one, one philosophy would be, hey, let's, let's focus on shoring up everything that we have today. Let's spend a lot of money on making the thing that we have today safer. Um, so that is one philosophy. The other philosophy, and, uh, and the president um, kind of backed this up through an executive order um, probably about a year ago. Um, the second philosophy is let's get more secure through modernization. Um, let's invest in inherently better security in our architectures. Let's invest in better tooling that automates uh, more of our cybersecurity orchestration. Let's invest in zero trust and let's really do the basics right for the next generation. And so along those lines, we do have a zero trust strategy within the department that aligns to the, um, the Department of Defense um, zero trust I'll say guidance. We've been working a lot with DISA and the DOD CIO, um, but we do have five lines of effort that we are actively working. Uh, one is ICAM, one is Zero Trust Gateway, one is data tagging, one is endpoint, and the final is SD-WAN. And so how are we handling Zero Trust across those five capability areas? And of course, also tying to the, to the Gartner capabilities model. And the first thing we did, we published our ICAM strategy and we are working with DISA and, and the DOD CIO and the other services to make sure that as we move toward an enterprise ICAM strategy for the Department of the Air Force, that that aligns with the ICAM strategy for the Department of Defense. And, we, and I've also been working a lot with my fellow CIOs, um, especially at the Department of the Navy, uh, Aaron Wise, on making sure that we are aligned on tech stack and that we're able to, to know that, um, is that Billy Mitchell over here? The same as that Billy Mitchell over there. Um, do these Billy Mitchells get the same access? Can they see that particular piece of data at this particular time for this particular purpose? Um, and so, so really, really getting that ICAM piece right. Um, on the Zero Trust Gateway, you've probably heard a lot about the cloud native access point. And, um, you know, that's been a, a pretty powerful uh, Zero Trust capability that a number of folks are leveraging, um, starting out of the Platform One team and the DevSecOps community, but also really being powerful um, for our cloud capabilities in general. And so um, I'd say we're farthest over our skis with those with those two things. Of course, um, trying to, to really refine our data tagging strategy and build in as much automation as possible, trying to figure out how do we bring some of our really, really old uh, data into the present day and what is the, the uh, kind of balance of effectiveness and economics and how can we do both really well. Um, and then uh, with endpoints, we should see some good progress with ITES Wave 1, again, trying to get that out this summer. And then SD-WAN, we have some great pilots going on right now, um, especially in the Pacific, but really just want to um, make sure that, that we have the whole community aligned on how we're doing SD-WAN because um, I don't have to just worry about uh, a terrestrial network. Um, if we're trying to get data from anywhere to anywhere via software to find WAN, 
you know, it's first of all, we're the Air Force and the Space Force. So at the very least, I need to also be worried about aerial networks and I need to be worried about space networks. If we get into JADC2 and we're talking data anywhere to anywhere, we might be talking about undersea networks or on-sea networks as well. Um, so, so there's a lot that we have to figure out. We have some great things that we're testing. We have some great things that are proven, um, but pulling that together is, is just a really interesting cross-service JADC2 challenge as well. Lauren Nausenberger, the Chief Information Officer at the Air Force with my FedScoop colleague, Billy Mitchell. You can hear another installment of that conversation on the next episode of Billy's podcast, Let's Talk About IT. You can sign up to subscribe to that show in today's show notes at defensescooppodcast.com. I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Defense Scoop podcast. On next week's program, civilian personnel in the department has some big potential problems ahead. The chair of the Defense Business Board, Deborah Lee James, is on next week's Defense Scoop podcast. That show debuts next Wednesday at fedscoop.com and wherever you get your shows. The annual authorization that lets the department spend the money appropriators give it is underway. And the Navy's looking at biotechnology to solve an infrastructure problem. Mark Pomerlow and Brandy Vincent are reporters for Defense Scoop. Welcome to both of you. Mark, I start with you. The National Defense Authorization Act process happens this time every year. How far underway are we and what's the timeline look like moving forward? Welcome. Yeah, this is, uh, you know, the most wonderful time of the year, as, as many are aware. Um, NDAA uh, season has kicked off. So the House Armed Services Committee right now, um, their various subcommittees are in the process of marking up their versions of the bill. Uh, the full uh, HASC won't do their markup until June 22nd. Um, we already have a, a few uh, marks that have been released. Uh, one that I'm paying attention to is the Subcommittee on Cyber Innovative Technologies and Information Systems. Uh, they have a few cyber and IT related uh, provisions uh, focused on the study of costs associated with underperforming software and IT. Uh, they want a review of the posture and staffing levels of the office of the CIO. And they're also looking to limit the funds um, for uh, Office of Secretary of Defense travel until joint lexicon for terms related to information operations are uh, actually defined. Now, it's likely that we'll have many more uh, cyber provisions to include provisions related to U.S. Cyber Command and the Chairman's Mark, which again uh, will be released at a later date with the uh, full committee markup uh, June 22nd. All right. Explain that lexicon one to me in kind of normal host of show language <laughs> and sure not thing. DOD so, language, Mark. Sure thing. So uh, committee aides told reporters that uh, one of their issues is there really isn't uh, common verbiage uh, among the services when it comes to issues related to information operations or operations in the information environment. Uh, each service has their own way of doing things and their own way of describing it. And they're a little bit concerned that this could create issues um, when trying to bring all this together in a, in a uh, coherent manner. Um, there was language in the FY20 uh, NDAA to codify this, and that hasn't been done yet. So now they're hoping that this provision uh, limiting uh, travel funds will kind of help nudge the department to uh, to really push that forward you mentioned the timeline on the house side do we know yet what the timeline might look like for the sask yes uh so they'll be marking up the week of june 13th 
uh, and the full committee will mark up uh, June 15th. So they're kind of on similar tracks this year. It's been a while since they've been kind of working on parallel tracks, I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, we'll, we'll see. We don't have a date for conference yet, obviously, but uh, we'll be kind of anxiously anticipating that as well. Have any of your handicappers giving you, given you any sense of what closure might look like from a calendar perspective? Are we looking at like a November, December timeline to wrap it up the way we have the last several years? Or is there some possibility for some reason that it might happen sooner? Well, uh, we, we haven't really gotten a timeline on that yet. Um, uh, hopefully that, that doesn't happen. But as, you're, as you just mentioned, uh, it, it seemed to kind of uh, happen at the 11th hour uh, the last few years. So um, we'll see what happens this year and if, if there's uh, any, any deviation from, from years past. Brandy, welcome. DARPA to develop bio-inspired tech to self-heal Pentagon's deteriorating concrete structures is the headline. And you have a quote in here from Dr. Matthew Pava. The broad agency announcement uses the terminology of a vascularizing effector. Is that like the veins in my body? It sort of is. It's also kind of modeled off of vascular systems, of ecosystems, of fungi in nature that can spread out and basically take up acres of land and then through their vascular systems, push out blood, nutrients, et cetera, maybe not blood because they're fungus, but nutrients and other things that keep them alive from source to sink. Um, and the DOD's sort of aim with this new DARPA project is to figure out if there is a way to model that approach to fix all of the deteriorating and damaged concrete within defense infrastructure. So is there a way to create a new substance, a vascularizing effector that can be essentially almost injected and grow into um, these different concrete structures so that they can then self-heal themselves? DARPA is taking it even further um, in that they're also wanting to figure out if there is a way to develop diagnostics within the technology that they can then check and see if it's working once it's in the concrete. Basically visualize and design the technology to tell them where they need more remediation um, for these systems. This is fascinating to me because DARPA does stuff that I don't even know how they thought of even trying that in the first place. Um, and and. The problem here is, and this is especially, I mentioned the Navy at the beginning of this conversation, and that's especially a problem because the Navy shipyards have deteriorated to the point that they have. But you point out in this story, a lot of this infrastructure built in the 40s and 50s and made from steel reinforced concrete. Um, what's, what's, the, what's the future of this look like? Do we know what DARPA, what, how they want to drive this forward and how they will know that they've got something that works? Absolutely. It's pretty fascinating. Um, like many DARPA projects, um, this one is happening over four and a half years. Oftentimes, DARPA is just doing basic research and exploring to try to drive industry. But with this effort, um, there is a chance that at the end of this four and a half years in the third phase, a demo could happen either in a mock experimental facility or on an actual DOD structure or DOD hive industry structure. So there's going to be a lot of um, 
ethical implications and societal implications that come with biotechnology and uh, basically using a, a life, an existing microorganism potentially to fix something, they have um, a panel of ethical um, and societal implication experts who are going to be giving advice through this whole um, sort of effort and ultimately could potentially get the right um, compliance and authorities to actually, in four years, demo this out on a DOD structure. So we might actually see some real human use cases come from this. Is this part of a broader either DARPA or DOD-wide biotechnology effort, Brandy, or is this kind of a one-off, off to the side, and it's not really connected to anything else? So this is um, part of DARPA's brand new bio-inspired restoration of aged concrete edifices or brace program, like literally a brace that holds these buildings up. It falls under DARPA's um, biological technologies office. There's a variety of different um, programs that are underway there. Um, and I think more broadly, this also just sort of shows how DARPA is looking to use innovation to fix a very real existing decades old problem that DOD is only gonna continue to be facing because like we said, so many of his structures are made of this um, very old, very massive concrete. Brandy Vincent, Mark Pomerlo, excellent coverage as always, guys. Thanks very much for joining me. Thanks, Francis. You can read more about both of those stories in today's show notes at DefenseScoopPodcast.com. The Defense Scoop Podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you don't want to miss a show, you can subscribe and get the show every Wednesday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your shows, and on any device you get your shows. And if you really like the Defense Scoop Podcast, leave us a five-star rating and a review. It'll help more people find the show. The Defense Scoop Podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney helps me put the show together every week, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. The Defense Scoop podcast returns next Wednesday with the chair of the Defense Business Board, Deborah Lee James. I'm Francis Rose. I'll talk to you then. Thanks very much for listening.